Chapter Four of the Permanent Husband by Fyodor Dostoevsky. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Velchaninoff slept soundly until half past nine, at which hour he started up, sat down on the side of his bed, and began to think. His thoughts quickly fixed themselves upon the death of that woman. The agitating impression, wrought upon his mind by yesterday's news as to her death, had left a painful feeling of mental perturbation. This morning the whole of the events of nine years back stood out before his mind's eye with extraordinary distinctness. He had loved this woman, Natalia Vasilievna, Trusotsky's wife, he had loved her, and had acted the part of her lover during the time which he had spent in their provincial town, while engaged in business connected with a legacy. He had lived there a whole year, though his business did not require by any means so long a visit. In fact, the tie above mentioned had detained him in the place. He had been so completely under the influence of this passion that Natalia Vasilievna had held him in a species of slavery. He would have obeyed the slightest whim or the wildest caprice of the woman at that time. He had never before or since experienced anything approaching the infatuation she had caused. When the time came for departing, Velchaninoff had been in a state of such absolute despair, though the parting was to have been but a short one, that he had begged Natalia Vasilievna to leave all and fly across the frontier with him and it was only by laughing him out of the idea, though she had at first encouraged it herself, probably for a joke, and by unmercifully chaffing him, that the lady eventually persuaded Belchaninoff to depart alone. However, he had not been a couple of months in St. Petersburg before he found himself asking himself that question which he had never to this day been able to answer satisfactorily, namely, did he love this woman at all, or was it nothing but the infatuation of the moment? He did not ask this question because he was conscious of any new passion taking root in his heart. On the contrary, during those first two months in town he had been in that condition of mind that he had not so much as looked at a woman, though he had met hundreds, and had returned to his old society ways at once and yet he knew perfectly well that if he were to return to T, he would instantly fall into the meshes of his passion for Natalia Vasilievna once more, in spite of the question for which he could not answer as to the reality of his love for her. Five years later he was as convinced of this fact as ever, although the very thought of it was detestable to him, and although he did not remember the name of Natalia Vasilievna but with loathing. He was ashamed of that episode at T. He could not understand how he, Velchaninoff, could ever have allowed himself to become the victim of such a stupid passion. He blushed whenever he thought of the shameful business, blushed, and even wept for shame. He managed to forget his remorse after a few more years. He felt sure that he had lived it down. And yet now, after nine years, here was the whole thing resuscitated by the news of Natalia's death. At all events, however, now, as he sat on his bed with agitating thoughts swarming through his brain, he could not but feel that the fact of her being dead was a consolation, amidst all the painful reflections which the mention of her name had called up. "'Surely I am a little sorry for her?' he asked himself. 
Well, he certainly did not feel that sensation of hatred for her now. He could think of her and judge her now without passion of any kind, and therefore more justly. He had long since been of opinion that in all probability there had been nothing more in Natalia Vasilyevna than is to be found in every lady of good provincial society, and that he himself had created the whole fantasy of his worship and her worshipfulness. But though he had formed this opinion, he always doubted its correctness, and he still felt that doubt now. Facts existed to contradict the theory. For instance, this Bagantov had lived for several years at T, and had been no less a victim to passion for this woman, and had been as helpless as Velchaninov himself under her witchery. Bagantov, though a young idiot, as Velchaninov expressed it, was nevertheless a scion of the very highest society in St. Petersburg. His career was in St. Petersburg, and it was significant that such a man should have wasted five important years of his life at tea, simply out of love for this woman. It was said that he had only returned to Petersburg, even then, because the lady had had enough of him, so that, all things considered, there must have been something which rendered Natalia Vasilyevna preeminently attractive among women. Yet the woman was not rich, she was not even pretty if not absolutely plain. Velchaninov had known her when she was twenty-eight years old. Her face was capable of taking a pleasing expression, but her eyes were not good, they were too hard. She was a thin, bony woman to look at. Her mind was intelligent, but narrow and one-sided. She had tact and taste, especially as to dress. Her character was firm and overbearing. She was never wrong, in her own opinion, or unjust. The unfaithfulness towards her husband never caused her the slightest remorse. She hated corruption, and yet she was herself corrupt. And she believed in herself absolutely. Nothing could ever have persuaded her that she herself was actually depraved. Velchaninov believed that she really did not know that her own corruption was corrupt. He considered her to be one of those women who only exist to be unfaithful wives. Such women never remain unmarried. It is the law of their nature to marry. Their husband is their first lover, and he is always to blame for anything that may happen afterwards. The unfaithful wife herself, being invariably absolutely in the right, and of course perfectly innocent. So thought Velchaninov and he was convinced that such a type of woman actually existed. But he was no less convinced that there also existed a corresponding type of men, born to be the husbands of such women. In his opinion, the mission of such men was to be, so to speak, permanent husbands, that is, to be husbands all their lives, and nothing else. Velchaninov had not the smallest doubt as to the existence of these two types, and Pavel Pavlovich Trusotsky was, in his opinion, an excellent representative of the male type. Of course, the Pavel Pavlovich of last night was by no means the same Pavel Pavlovich as he had known at tea. He had found an extraordinary change in the man, and yet, on reflection, he was bound to admit that the change was but natural for that he could only have remained what he was so long as his wife lived, and that now he was but a part of a whole, 
allowed to wander at will, that is, an imperfect being, a surprising, an incomprehensible sort of a thing, without proper balance. As for the Pavel Pavlovitch of T, this is what Velchaninoff remembered of him. Pavel Pavlovitch had been a husband, of course, a formality, and that was all. If, for instance, he was a clerk of department besides, he was so merely in his capacity of, and as a part of his responsibility as, a husband. He worked for his wife, and for her social position. He had been thirty-five years old at that time, and was possessed of some considerable property. He had not shown any special talent, nor, on the other hand, any marked incapacity in his professional employment. His position had been decidedly a good one. Natalia Vasilyevna had been respected and looked up to by all. Not that she valued their respect in the least. She considered it merely as her due. She was a good hostess, and had schooled Pavel Pavlovitch into polite manners, so that he was able to receive and entertain the very best society passably well. He might be a clever man, for all Velchaninoff knew, but as Natalia Vasilyevna did not like her husband to talk much, there was little opportunity of judging. He may have had good qualities as well as bad, but the good ones were, so to speak, kept put away in their cases, and the bad ones were stifled and not allowed to appear. Velchaninoff remembered, for instance, that Pavel Pavlovitch had once or twice shown a disposition to laugh at those about him, but this unworthy proclivity had been very promptly subdued. He had been fond of telling stories, but this was not allowed either, or, if permitted at all, the anecdote was to be of the shortest and most uninteresting description. Pavel Pavlovitch had a circle of private friends outside the house, with whom he was fain, at times, to taste the flowing bowl. But this vicious tendency was radically stamped out as soon as possible. And yet, with all this, Natalia Vasilyevna appeared, to the uninitiated, to be the most obedient of wives, and doubtless considered herself so. Pavel Pavlovitch may have been desperately in love with her. No one could say as to this. Velchaninoff had frequently asked himself during his life at T, whether Pavel Pavlovitch ever suspected his wife of having formed the tie with himself, of which mention has been made. Velchaninoff had several times questioned Natalia Vasilyevna on this point, seriously enough, but had invariably been told, with some show of annoyance, that her husband neither did know nor ever could know, and that all there might be to know was not his business. Another trait in her character was that she never laughed at Pavel Pavlovitch, and never found him funny in any sense and that she would have been down on any person who dared to be rude to him at once. Pavel Pavlovitch's reference to the pleasant little readings enjoyed by the trio nine years ago was accurate. They used to read Dickens' novels together, Velchaninoff or Trozatsky reading aloud, while Natalia Vasilyevna worked. The life at tea had ended suddenly, and, so far as Velchaninoff was concerned, in a way which drove him almost to the verge of madness. The fact is, he was simply turned out, although it was all managed in such a way that he never observed that he was being thrown over like an old worn-out shoe. 
A young artillery officer had appeared in the town a month or so before Velchaninoff's departure, and had made acquaintance with the Trusotskys. The trio became a quartet. Before long, Velchaninoff was informed that for many reasons a separation was absolutely necessary. Natalia Vasilievna adduced a hundred excellent reasons why this had become unavoidable, and especially one which quite settled the matter. After his stormy attempt to persuade Natalia Vasilievna to fly with him to Paris, or anywhere, Velchaninoff had ended by going to St. Petersburg alone, for two or three months at the very most, as he said. Otherwise he would refuse to go at all, in spite of every reason and argument Natalia might adduce. Exactly two months later Velchaninoff had received a letter from Natalia Vasilievna, begging him to come no more to tea because she already loved another. As to the principal reason which she had brought forward in favour of his immediate departure, she now informed him that she had made a mistake. Velchaninoff remembered the young artilleryman, and understood, and so the matter had ended, once and for all. A year or two after this Bogantov appeared at tea, and an intimacy between Natalia Vasilievna and the former had sprung up which lasted for five years. This long period of constancy Velchaninoff attributed to advancing age on the part of Natalia. He sat on the side of his bed for nearly an hour and thought. At last he roused himself, rang for Mavra and his coffee, drank it off quickly, dressed, and punctually at eleven was on his way to the Prokofsky Hotel. He felt rather ashamed of his behaviour to Pavel Pavlovitch last night. Velchaninoff put down all that phantasmagoria of the trying of the lock and so on to Pavel Pavlovitch's drunken condition and to other reasons, but he did not know why he was now on his way to make fresh relations with the husband of that woman, since their acquaintanceship and intercourse had come to so natural and simple a termination. Yet something seemed to draw him thither, some strong current of impulse, and he went. End of chapter 4